Hey everyone, Andrea Renee here. I am at the preview event for Shadow of the Tomb Raider, speaking with Jill Murray, the lead writer, and Daniel Chaillet, the game director. Thanks so much for chatting with me today. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you for having us. So you guys are giving a lot of members of the press some lengthy hands-on time. Of course, recently you announced that you've gone gold. Congratulations. That means the game is done? Question mark? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's pretty much done for sure. Uh, for those who are going to get the day one patch, we're going to, you know, still polishing some of the elements, but we are polishing right now on the polish pass. So we want to make sure that this is the great, the, the, the great version of it as, as much as possible. Well, it certainly looks beautiful from everything that I've I've played so far, and I had to make sure to ask your fantastic QA guy downstairs. I was like, is this 4K? This looks amazing. Um, and he gave me the rundown and all the technical specs, which I, I'll go over for you guys a little bit later, because I know there's still those people out there who are diehards about knowing, is it 60 FPS? Is it 30 FPS? Is it unlocked frame rate? Like, what are all the technical stats? Um, but I want to get into talking about uh, the gameplay that we got to see here today, and of course, some of the story elements. I had the honor of working with Jill at San Diego Comic-Con recently talking about some really in-depth narrative development with both Camilla Luddington and, of course, Earl Balin, the two lead voice actors in the game. And this game seems to me to be a little bit misunderstood. When I came back from Comic-Con and I was on Kind of Funny Games Daily, one of the shows that I host um, over there with Greg Miller, we got some people writing in being like, oh, you know, I'm not really that hyped. It seems like Square's just kind of like pushing this game out and doesn't really care about it. And I was like, wait, what? What, Why are you getting that? uh, Why are you getting that impression? I was like, so I I like laid it on thick. and was like, well, let me tell you everything about the story about Tomb Raider. I was like, well, I'm probably not the right person for this. Jill is definitely the person that could do would better so jill what would you say if if a fan came up to you and was like this game doesn't seem like it's going to be that cool to me besides being immediately insulted which you should be (laughs) um that aside how would you tell that fan like the importance the weight and kind of like the gravity of what's happening in this game Oh, wow. Uh, well, I think, first of all, it's important to understand that all of us on the team love Lara Croft and care very deeply about this conclusion to her journey from this uh, trilogy that started with Tomb Raider in 2013. And we've seen her grow so much from this sort of inexperienced student adventurer, just figuring out who she was and what it means to be in the world, and then going through Rise, where she becomes... Uh, really more of a hunter, develops all of her skills. Um, now we meet her in Shadow of the Tomb Raider. She's fully leveled up. She's at the height of her powers. She has all of her weapons to start out. She's like hot on the heels of Trinity with her best friend Jonah. And she just wants to you know, outrun them, get to the artifact first, make sure they can't use it. Uh, to whatever nefarious ends (laughs) they're going to. And she succeeds. She succeeds right away, which is, I think, your first clue that something is going to be different in this game. Um, And as soon as she has that success in her hands, she also realizes it was a mistake because by taking that artifact, she sets off the apocalypse. Just, just a little thing that she did. Oops, just a little. My bad. Can I put it back? (laughs) Like, I don't know if you've ever, like 
by accident said something to a friend and then regretted it for 10 years. I, I think a lot of us have been in similar situations throughout our lifetime. So she just maybe ended the world. Um, so she, you know, at this point, we really have to look at, at what being a hero is in a completely different way, because now it's not just about being faster or stronger or smarter or having the purest intentions. It's about, oh, my God, I already screwed this up in the biggest possible way. Um, and how am I going to go forward? And am I going to be able to go forward? Well, she's Lara Croft, so of course she's going to be able to go forward. But I think, you know, it's emotionally difficult for her. She has a lot of guilt to reconcile um, and she really has to rebuild herself so that she is, in many ways, I guess, a more uh, evolved and complete person, along with all of these incredible skills that she's always had. So, Daniel, what does that mean, like, from a gameplay perspective, like, this super powerful Laura? And I, I think that one of the things that stood out for me from the presentation that you guys gave today, um, and I, I wrote this down, you were speaking about, like, her and Shadow of the Tomb Raider becoming Croft, like that word and what that word means. And the way that you were speaking about it, it almost sounded like she's a little bit supernatural. Would, would you maybe take that leap or do you think that's a step too far? I wouldn't take that leap. I think um, she's I, I, in Shadow of the Tomb Raider, she feels uh, certainly at the beginning, she feels, you know, uh, Powerful. She feels like she can do whatever. Uh, when we were thinking about Rise, like we're saying during the presentation, I was talking about Rise was about defining what Croft means exactly. And Shadow, the ultimate question for us was, because we know who she is, uh, we identified that on, on 2000, uh, 2013, now we know what Croft means now, she's know what she's capable of, who she is. On Shadow, the ultimate question is that what would she do with that? You know, it's almost like the Nietzsche quote that says, you know, uh, those who fight monsters should see to it that they don't themselves become the monsters. And, and that's the ultimate, you know, that's the ultimate thing that could happen to her. And, and this is the journey of that temptation. Uh, she will flirt with the supernatural. Is she going to be, is she, is she supernatural? I would say no, but she still, you know, she still go and, and uh, you know, she's, She's in contact with the supernatural in a, in a way that uh, normally you will find only at the end of the game, uh, on Rise, things like that here, from the beginning. She takes the dagger. She knows, you know, she knows she's causing something. So even from the beginning of the game, she's touching the supernatural, and that will leave uh, a mark on her. I just thought of something. Um, it's, in a, it's in a side quest in our social hub, PyTT, which is like the biggest social hub we've ever done. Um, and there's just, it's a side quest with this child who asks you for help getting his dice back from Pisco the Dead. And no, no, none of the adults believe him that Pisco the Dead took his dice. And, and Lara agrees to help him. And he's like, you believe me? And she says, well, it wouldn't be the first time the dead seem to speak to me. So I think like her way of of being in contact with the supernatural, so to speak, is is, is very grounded. And it's very grounded in her personal past. Yeah, I mean, there's some pretty heavy stuff in this game, not just from like an action violence perspective, but also like from an emotional perspective. You know, like one of the scenes that we saw in this demo um, was between Lara and Jonah. You know, her kind of BFF in this series and really kind of getting an intimate look at like what their relationship is and what it means like to for them to support each other and really more for Jonah to kind of force himself 
into Laura's psyche to be like, you can't do this by yourself. Like you think that you can, but you have to let me help you because you keep pushing people away. There's a line where um, they're talking about, you know, like the world ending and, you know, if you had the power to change the world, like what would you do with it? She asks them and, and, and she's like, well, you know, wouldn't you go back and see this person if you could, if you could, you know, change things in the past, would you? And he's like, no, because it would mean, you know, that even though the world's not perfect, he says, but everything I love that I know is in it. And I think I'm misquoting it directly there. But like the idea for about that, it's just kind of like kind of got to step back and go, dang, that's deep. <laughs> you know, it feels like this game has a much like heavier tone than the previous games have where it's easy to kind of look at some of the past games and how crazy and over top some of the action sequences are. Not to say that we're not going to see that in this game, but like it felt more video game and less narrative based and this one feels like you kind of like are bringing the slider a little bit more towards the other way is that a fair assessment or is that just what i've seen so far sure um yeah well we have a smaller cast of characters this time which means we can go much more in depth into their personal relationships and definitely the friendship between lara and jonah is uh, the most important one that we explore and we have had such a an excellent process on putting cinematics together that we've really had space to write and explore and, and give the actors even room to um, you know improvise a little on the on the performances and so we do end up with these very uh, these moments that feel really intimate like should you even be there <laughs> yeah. as, a, as an audience almost and, and just even like when you read that line back like I, I feel it like I get goosebumps because each of these things when we're writing them it mattered a lot to me um, so yeah I, I hope that that's true what you said and that we feel that in the in the game well it's so easy to get pulled out of the emotional moments when you're bombarded with these crazy action sequences right so in the game Laura as you have mentioned is like at the height of her powers right so she's becoming one with the jungle so you're constantly scavenging for resources or you're fighting animals or you're fighting trinity and then the next moment you're exploring a, a hub world there's, there's a lot going on like are we going to see more moments like that uh, with Jonah and Laura there's a lot more moment like that because one of the things that's important is that, yes, in Rise we were prioritizing, you know, the big explosion, the big moments, action sequence moment. Same thing with 2013. But one thing, because I worked on 2013 as a game director, and one thing that was, you know, the one thing that was important for us it was the beginning of it. Uh, the beginning of the game, Lara was much more vulnerable, and we had a lot more time with Roth, Roth explaining to her things. And then this is something that for this third game, it was very important for me that we use that moment and we apply it to the entire game. And that was very important because it was a, a personal journey. We knew that. When you're saying it's, uh, let's say, for example, it's darker or things like that, it, it could be perceived like that, but it's more personal because it is more personal and she's struggling and there's things inside of her, a conflict inside of her about what she believes is right versus what she's doing. And that's why that's why we're always saying there's some very light moment. Paititi is very light. There's a light if you if you play through uh to Kawakiaku there's a funny moment there. There's a lot of funny moment. These are the moments that also makes her human. And, and that is the thing. Human uh, it, it, it's about weakness and strength and how you can be tempted about, you know, the things that is happening around you. So this is one thing that was important. Like, 
when we started even from production st- standpoint on the story, let's say that priority one is the most important thing, and priority two and priority three, uh, normally we would be going with big set piece moment or action moment at P1, this is the most important thing, and then the story-driven thing, and then after that, the emotional moment. So when you start cutting, the first thing that has to go is the P3 moments. In this game, we said, no, the dialogue, the slow moment, the emotional moment are P1s. The, uh, the action pieces, P2, and the P3 is more a story-driven thing. So by doing that, we knew we were protecting these moments. We knew that we were putting, investing a lot more time, and we were taking a lot more time on that. And that, of course, meant that we needed to have a, a, a better companion to Lara to expose that as much as possible. Because she will never run and say, oh, now I'm actually sad about what I just did, you know. You have these moments of campfire, but it, it's not as real as having someone say, says to you, no, no. You know, I, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be coping like that. You should be doing like that. And that's what makes this scene with Jonah very interesting and deep. And that's why I think when you're playing the game and you're experiencing the game, we made sure that what you're experiencing in terms of the interaction reinforce what you just experienced in a, a, a more emotional moment. And that's definitely evident. And, uh, I know that in the, in the previous games, even I was critical of her being so vulnerable, but then going on these like murdering rampages and taking out swaths of Trinity, you know, henchmen and things like that, and kind of recognizing that there was like a dissidence there, right? Like she is trying to be vulnerable, but also is strong over here. Like where's the connect? And it feels like that connect is finally like hitting in, in this game, which is a, finally a really awesome moment to experience firsthand. But I was listening to you talk to another person here at the event today. And you had mentioned that Laura finally is at this place where she actually regrets all of the violence that she is bestowing on people obviously she it's still a video game there needs to be action sequences no one's disputing that but that you were talking about how she has gotten to a place where like she recognizes like the consequences of what she's doing but there's a she's a shame of it and and there's a Hey everyone, Andrea Renee here. I am at the preview event for Shadow of the Tomb Raider, speaking with Jill Murray, the lead writer, and Daniel Chaye, the game director. Thanks so much for chatting with me today. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you for having us. So you guys are giving a lot of members of the press some lengthy hands-on time. Of course, recently you announced that you've gone gold. Congratulations. That means the game is done? Question mark? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's pretty much done for sure. Uh, for those who are going to get the day one patch, we're going to, you know, still polishing some of the elements, but we are polishing right now on the polish pass. So we want to make sure that this is the great, the, the, the great version of it as, as much as possible. Well, it certainly looks beautiful from everything that I've I've played so far, and I had to make sure to ask your fantastic QA guy downstairs. I was like, "Is this 4K? This looks amazing!" Um, and he gave me the rundown and all the technical specs, which I, I'll go over for you guys a little bit later because I know there's still those people out there who are diehards about knowing is it 60 FPS? Is it 30 FPS? Is it unlocked frame rate? Like, what are all the technical stats? Um, but I want to get into talking about uh, the gameplay that we got to see here today, and of course some of the story elements i had the honor of working with jill at san diego comic-con recently talking about 
some really in-depth narrative development with both Camilla Luddington and, of course, Earl Balin, the two lead voice actors in the game. And this game seems to me to be a little bit misunderstood. Like when I came back from Comic-Con and I was on Kind of Funny Games Daily, one of the shows that I host um, over there with Greg Miller, we got some people writing in being like, oh, you know, I'm not really that hyped. It seems like Square's just kind of like pushing this game out and doesn't really care about it. And I was like, wait, what? what why are you getting that? Uh, why are you getting that impression? I was like, so I, I like laid it on thick. and was like, well, let me tell you everything about the story about Tomb Raider. I was like, well, I'm probably not the right person for this. Jill is definitely the person that could do it better so jill what would you say if if a fan came up to you and was like this game doesn't seem like it's going to be that cool to me besides being immediately insulted which you should be (laughs) um that aside how would you tell that fan like the importance the weight and kind of like the gravity of what's happening in this game oh wow uh well i think first of all it's important to understand that all of us on the team love lara croft and care very deeply about this conclusion to her journey from this Uh, trilogy that started with Tomb Raider in 2013 and we've seen her grow so much from this sort of inexperienced student adventurer just figuring out who she was and what it means to be in the world and then going through Rise where she becomes uh, really more of a hunter develops all of her skills Um, now we meet her in Shadow of the Tomb Raider she's fully leveled up she's at the height of her powers she has all of her weapons to start out she's like hot on the heels of trinity with her best friend jonah and she just wants to you know outrun them get to the artifact first to make sure they can't use it uh to whatever nefarious ends (laughs) they're going to and she succeeds she succeeds right away which is i think your first clue that something is going to be different in this game Um, And as soon as she has that success in her hands, she also realizes it was a mistake because by taking that artifact, she sets off the apocalypse. Just, just a little thing that she did. Oops. Just a little. My bad. Can I put it back? (laughs) Like, I don't know if you've ever like by accident said something to a friend and then regretted it for 10 years. I, I think a lot of us have been in similar situations throughout our lifetime. So she just maybe ended the world. Um, so she, you know, at this point, we really have to look at, at what being a hero is in a completely different way, because now it's not just about being faster or stronger or smarter or having the purest intentions. It's about, oh, my God, I already screwed this up in the biggest possible way. Um, and how am I going to go forward? And am I going to be able to go forward? Well, she's Lara Croft, so of course she's going to be able to go forward. But I think, you know, it's emotionally difficult for her. She has a lot of guilt to reconcile Um, And she really has to rebuild herself so that she is, in many ways, I guess, a more uh, evolved and complete person, along with all of these incredible skills that she's always had. So, Daniel, what does that mean, like, from a gameplay perspective, like, this super powerful Laura? and. I think that one of the things that stood out for me from the presentation that you guys gave today, um, and I, I wrote this down, you were speaking about like her and Shadow of the Tomb Raider becoming Croft, like that word and what that word means. And the way that you were speaking about it, it almost sounded like she's a little bit supernatural. Would, would you maybe take that leap, or do you think that's a step too far? I wouldn't take that leap. I think um, she's... I, I, in Shadow Tomb Raider, she feels, uh, certainly at the beginning, she feels, you know, uh, 
powerful. She feels like she can do whatever. Uh, when we were thinking about rise, like we're saying during the presentation, I was talking about rise was about defining what Croft means exactly. And Shadow, the ultimate question for us was, because we know who she is, uh, we identified that on, on 2000, uh, 2013. Now we know what Croft means now. She knows what she's capable of, who she is. On Shadow, the ultimate question is that what would she do with that? You know, it's almost like the Nietzsche quote that says, you know, uh, those who fight monsters should see to it that they don't themselves become the monsters. And, and that's the ultimate, you know, that's the ultimate thing that could happen to her. And, and this is the journey of that temptation. Uh, she will flirt with the supernatural. Is she going to be, is she, is she supernatural? I would say no, but she's still, you know, she still go and, uh, you know, she's, She's in contact with the supernatural in a, in a way that uh, normally you will find only at the end of the game, uh, on Rise, things like that here, from the beginning. She takes the dagger. She knows, you know, she knows she's causing something. So even from the beginning of the game, she's touching the supernatural, and that will leave uh, a mark on her. I just thought of something. Um, it's, in a, it's in a side quest in our social hub, ITT, which is like the biggest social hub we've ever done. Um, and there's just, it's a side quest with this child who asks you for help getting his dice back from Peace Code the Dead. And no, no, none of the adults believe him that Peace Code of the Dead took his dice. And, and Lara agrees to help him. And he's like, you believe me? And she says, well, it wouldn't be the first time the dead seem to speak to me. So I think like her way of of being in contact with the supernatural, so to speak, is, is, is very grounded. It's very grounded in her personal past. Yeah, I mean, there's some pretty heavy stuff in this game, not just from, like, an action violence perspective, but also, like, from an emotional perspective. You know, like, one of the scenes that we saw in this demo um, was between Lara and Jonah, you know, her kind of BFF in this series. And really kind of getting an intimate look at like what their relationship is and what it means like to for them to support each other and really more for Jonah to kind of force himself into Lara's psyche to be like you can't do this by yourself like you think that you can but you have to let me help you because you keep pushing people away there's a line where um, they're talking about you know like the world ending and you know if you had the power to change the world like what would you do with it she asks him and And, and she's like, well, you know, wouldn't you go back and see this person if you could, if you could, you know, change things in the past, would you? And he's like, no, because it would mean, you know, that even though the world's not perfect, he says, but everything I love that I know is in it. And I think I'm misquoting it directly there. But like the idea for about that, it's just kind of like kind of got to step back and go, dang, that's deep. <laughs> You know, it feels like this game has a much, like, heavier tone than the previous games have, where it's easy to kind of look at some of the past games and how crazy and over top some of the action sequences are. Not to say that we're not going to see that in this game, but, like, it felt more video game and less narrative-based, and this one feels like you kind of, like, are bringing the slider a little bit more towards the other way. Is that a fair assessment, or is that just what I've seen so far? Um, sure. Um, yeah, well, we have a smaller cast of characters this time, which means we can go much more in-depth into their personal relationships. And definitely the friendship between Lara and Jonah is uh, the most important one that we explore. And we have had such a an excellent process on putting cinematics 
together that we've really had space to write and explore and, and give the actors even room to um, you know improvise a little on the on the performances and so we do end up with these very uh, these moments that feel really intimate like should you even be there (laughs) as as an audience almost and and just even like when you read that line back like I I feel it like I get goosebumps because each of these things when we're writing them it mattered a lot to me um so yeah I, I hope that that's true what you said and that we feel that in the in the game well, it's so easy to get pulled out of the emotional moments when you're bombarded with these crazy action sequences, right? So in the game, Laura, as you have mentioned, is like at the height of her powers, right? So she's becoming one with the jungle. So you're constantly scavenging for resources or you're fighting animals, or you're fighting Trinity. And then the next moment you're exploring a, a hub world. There's, there's a lot going on. Like, Are we going to see more moments like that uh, with Jonah and Laura? There's a lot more moment like that because one of the things that's important is that, yes, in Rise we were prioritizing, you know, the big explosion, the big moments, action sequence moment. Same thing with 2013. But one thing, because I worked on 2013 as a game director, and one thing that was, you know, the one thing that was important for us it was the beginning of it. Uh, the beginning of the game, Lara was much more vulnerable, and we had a lot more time with Roth, Roth explaining to her things. And then this is something that for this third game, it was very important for me that we use that moment and we apply it to the entire game. And that was very important because it was a, a personal journey. We knew that. When you're saying it's, uh, let's say, for example, it's darker or things like that, it, it could be perceived like that, but it's more personal because it is more personal. And she's struggling, and there's things inside of her, a conflict inside of her about what she believes is right versus what she's doing. And that's why that's why we're always saying there's some very light moment. Paititi is very light. There's a light if you if you play through uh to Kawakiaku there's a funny moment there. There's a lot of funny moments. These are the moments that also makes her human. And, and that is the thing. Human uh, it, it, it's about weakness and strength and how you can be tempted about, you know, the things that is happening around you. So this is one thing that was important. Like when we started even from production st- standpoint on the story, let's say the priority one is the most important thing, and priority two and priority three, uh, normally we would be going with big set piece moment or action moment at P1. This is the most important thing. And then the story-driven thing. And then after that, the emotional moment. So when you start cutting, the first thing that has to go is the P3 moments. In this game, we said, no, the dialogue, the slow moment, the emotional moment are P1s. The, uh, the action pieces, P2, and the P3 is more a story-driven thing. So by doing that, we knew we were protecting these moments. We knew that we were putting, investing a lot more time, and we were taking a lot more time on that. And that, of course, meant that we needed to have a, a, a better companion to Lara to expose that as much as possible. Because she will never run and say, oh, now I'm actually sad about what I just did, you know. You have these moments of campfire, but it, it's not as real as having somebody say, says to you, no, no. You know, I, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be coping like that. You should be doing like that. And that's what makes this scene with Jonah very interesting and deep. And that's why I think when you're playing the game and you're experiencing the game, we made sure that what you're experiencing in terms of the interaction reinforce what you just experienced in a, a, a more emotional moment. And that's definitely evident. And uh, 
I know that you know in the previous games, even I was critical of her being so vulnerable, but then going on these like murdering rampages and taking out swaths of Trinity, you know, henchmen and things like that, and kind of recognizing that there was like a dissidence there, right? Like she is trying to be vulnerable, but also is strong over here. Like where's the connect? And it feels like that connect is finally like hitting in in this game, which is a finally a really awesome moment to experience firsthand. But I was listening to you talk to another person here at the event today and you had mentioned that Laura finally is at this place where she actually regrets all of the violence that she is bestowing on people obviously she it's still a video game there needs to be action sequences no one's disputing that but that you were talking about how she has gotten to a place where like she recognizes like the consequences of what she's doing but there's a She's ashamed of it. And, and there's a, a very special scene, this very important scene, if you played it. It's in the jungle, she's with Jonah. And this is the only moment uh, from the demo you played that you're gonna, if you're very observant, you'll see that. When she's, there's a stealth moment with Jonah and she's taking down people with him, she never kills them. She only takes them down. There's the only mo- moment in the preview, she's not stabbing people. She's taking them down with the bow because she's ashamed of it. She wa- never wants Jonah to see that. So in that specific, specific scene, she knocks them out with a bow. She doesn't stab them. She doesn't stab all the enemies. So I, that's the thing. I did. I just assumed that she was killing them. <laughs> no, but if you look, she's using the bow. She's knocking them. She doesn't doesn't take them down. And it was very specific from my point of saying she will never do these things directly in front of Jonah. Not not because she couldn't. It's just because she uh, she would be ashamed of it. Jill, why would she be ashamed? Like, what in, within her character is kind of making her stop and be kind of reserved or held back in front of somebody who's supposed to be, you know, her best friend? I, I think that the destruction that she feels guilty over, though, is is not so much towards Trinity because she really is aggressively hunting them down and they really are foes who are are equal to her in this game but I think that in taking the dagger and triggering the apocalypse which almost immediately uh, resolves in a, in a tsunami uh, which kills civilians I think that's the destruction that really weighs on her and also because of the way um, she and and Jonah relate to each other in the aftermath of that you know she is uh, on an adrenaline high and just wants to keep charging ahead and fix it and he wants to stop and and help people and I I think if she feels um you know guilt it's 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 relates very much to that moment where she I think she sees the value of what he's saying and and she doesn't have that same drive within her she has the adventuring drive to go go fix it you know ultimately and but i think that there is something very powerful about that gentle approach to we can do something now let's stay here and help these people and then we can move on yeah, it's almost like she has tunnel vision for the prize right like she sees like the end game but doesn't see the steps to get there or more importantly the people that she's stepping on to get to that prize i mean lara has always been a wonderful video game character because she is a lot like a video game player you want to level up and be faster and win and keep trying um and if if the game is ever like no, hang back and sit here. You're going to be like, what? <laughs> so I think I think she's a very sympathetic character. Uh, even even just mechanically, we, we understand her because we have those impulses too. 
Absolutely. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about some of these other people that we're meeting in the game, uh, these civilians that Jonah wants to help. And you had mentioned PyTT as one of these open world hubs. And you were speaking in the presentation about how you know, PyTT as a, as a gameplay section is much bigger than anything that we've seen in the previous games. So let's chat a little bit about, you know, what was the reasoning behind wanting to add this bigger exploration element this time around instead of focusing more on specifically like the tombs or specifically the combat sequences, but really giving Laura the chance to have these more human interactions with other people in the world. Uh, the motivation be uh, to to create that at the beginning, like three years ago, uh, when I did the initial pitch about Paititi, the pitch was more like that. What if Lara, for the first time, she thinks she's going to a tomb where normally people are dead. She's going there and she comes into in contact with living, breathing people in that city. What would happen? What would she do? And this is the whole thing she needs to understand uh, in her journey is that she, uh, this is the, the cause also when she's taking the dagger. You know, you, you'll talk about the dissonance here, and this is very important for us that you see a consequence of her action. When she's making an action, you see all these innocent people dying. And, and for her to really see the stakes, what are the real stakes? It's to really understand that there's people. And that people are human and they have, you know, they have real life and things like that. And understanding your consequence, the actions you're, there's some real uh, world-threatening consequence. And you can bring a lot of, you know, a lot of bad things to these people and to understand them. So there's this exchange. You are helping them and they're also helping you. And you evolve in a way where at the end, to become the tumor you're meant to be, it's to really understand what, it, what are these people and, and, and really understanding your relationship with them. Is Jonah going to also have interactions with these people as well or is it primarily going to be driven through Lara's eyes? We do also see Jonah have his own relationships with the characters we meet in both PyTT and Kawakiaku and that's one of the things that helps us really understand who he is, get a sense of what his life might be outside of Tomb Raider and where he might go um, as a character afterwards. Um, I think this is uh, another thing that's interesting about the game is that each of these characters, uh, the secondary characters from Jonah to the antagonist Dominguez to um, people like Abby that we meet. Oh, um, yes, Abby. I'm so glad you brought her up. I actually just stood there for a while and listened to Jonah attempt to flirt with her. And it was so funny because, of course, she's like, oh, are you with that girl? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. She's, uh, you know, we're just friends. I'm uh, pretty single. (laughs) I was like, yeah, that's a super, that's an amazingly awkward scene that I think took a lot of work to pull off in a video game. You have no idea how hard it is to pull off awkward. Natural flirting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But just to finish what I was going to say, I was just going to say all of these people uh, are really, you know, heroes in their own story in their own way. So they're not just there as foils for Lara. Each of them is tackling their own problems. Um, And I think that makes the world richer. Absolutely. And I mean, the first thing that I thought of was, you know, like, how many people am I gonna have to run around and talk to and get and get side quests from? Um, How intense is the side quest system in this game? Is it going to be like a a lot of extra content? And is it just like a little bit of content to kind of like, help fill out, you know, the exploration elements of the game? Like, could you give me a little bit of an idea of like, 
you know, uh, for playtime or whatever, how much it's going to be? The playtime, uh, depending on people, because it's uh, they send you a lot of places that could be uh, very difficult to get or find and things like that. But one of the key element here is it's not really just to get some some game time but also understanding who these people are and your relationship with them and that was for us like like in rise in rise we were more like a, a fetch thing you know, can you get me this and i'll you know i know i worked on rise and hey, listen things- you can't have a video game without at least one fetch quest <laughs> <laughs> but but what we wanted to do is we wanted to uh and that was the interesting part of it. Like we wanted to have the player want to interact with these people, not to know, not to know that they will get a reward, but to understand the personalities of these people. Like, oh my God, this this person is doing like that. So really, was more about your relationship with people and, and knowing all their different personalities. Because, like Jill was saying, we work really hard making sure that they have their own story and, and they, they they perceive the world in a specific way that and then Lara and the player will also by interacting with them understand so there's plenty of uh, plenty of, uh, of quests but it's not like there's 120 it's more like we are focusing more on the quality side of it and making sure that your relationship with them and the exchange is meaningful so when you're doing something it's not just because I'm giving you a unique bow but it's because oh my god it was rewarding as a emotional journey or or a um, or, or a rewarding journey but that but at the end, you still get something, but it's more about the journey itself than just a reward. That certainly comes through because there was this one interaction that I had with an NPC in... Um I always screw up the name of this place. Kawakeku. Yes, that place um, where I like walked into her, to this house, well, what I thought was you know just like an open area, and the woman's like, "Oh, the guy's like, this is private property," and she's like, "Oh, has it gotten so bad that people don't even recognize that this is our home anymore?" And like that was like a, a really like intense quiet moment that I just stumbled into you know that you're coming across a couple who's clearly having a hard time and and then and then here I am just like walking around like bumbling into people's houses and that like it I think what it does is reinforce that this area isn't just filler but that it's meaningful and these people are meaningful and that they really are there for a reason they, they are there to create a real world uh, we wanted people to care. It's not just a playground where I go there and punch people in the face and run around. I work in Assassin's Creed. That's why I can say that, <laughs> uh, which which was awesome. I, I love working on that. But one of the things for us was very different, whatever it's PyTT or the small villages, is to create an emotional journey. That when you're there, it's not just about you running around. Mm-hmm. It's about petting llama. It's about hugging, you know, hugging kids or uh, being in contact with people in a respectful way to learn from them and also to really get this connection because if I'm creating if I trigger the apocalypse you know and I, I have this relationship with these people as a player I will even want to be more like listen, like Lara come on girl we can save this world look how beautiful it is and this is very important so of course the beginning of the game when you play the beginning of the game it, it's darker and things like that but as you advance it becomes more brighter and your relationship's like oh my god I've, you know the, these kids playing and, and this like you were saying this couple uh, and, and a lot of people are having a reaction about all the these elements that are not necessarily quests or anything it's just the world is alive and that was very important for us when we were building these hubs we said it needs to be the most alive hub that we ever seen in a video game as much as possible and that we wanted this to be as believable and I wanted to care that was the first thing we wrote on the whiteboard we said we want 
people to care. And that was, uh, that was important. So every single life, every single line, every single thing, there's a, a line there that the father is scolding the kid and, scold, and he says, are you saying to me that somebody came to our house and, and break the vase, my favorite vase, why are you talking to kids? Yeah. And he invents this story <laughs> and it's amazing. And just listening to it, there's, they don't give you a quest, but just listening to the world makes you like, oh my God, that could be a real life thing. Thanks. A minute before, though, and broke the vase. Probably. I think that's what it references. It's after there's something that happens. The poor kid is <laughs> taking the heat for it. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the gameplay elements that we got to see here today. Obviously, there's a greater emphasis on tunes, which you guys have talked about at length at several other events where you've showcased the game. But for the first time, I got to see a crypt. So I wanted to know, like, what is the major difference between tombs and crypts? And, um, like, what's what's the incentive to kind of go and explore all these areas? Um, okay. Uh, I would say it's, there's a lot of things. The first thing is that size. Our tombs are about three times the size of a tomb uh, of rice. And the crypt is about the size of a tomb from rice. So yeah, you could be mixed. Like, like thinking this is actually a tomb, but it's just a crypt. And what do you find? Uh, there's some special reward in the crypt that are different from the tombs. And uh, the crypt don't always have a puzzle, but there's other challenging things that you can do in the crypts while, uh, while tombs always have as a centerpiece a, a, a puzzle. And that is the, the core differentiation uh, between the two. And the approach of gameplay in terms of that is that we... By doing the tombs, uh, you're going to a much more longer spelunking moment. So you know that if you're doing spelunking long, for a while, then you know that you're going to be in a tomb. While crypt, the spelunking is actually uh, smaller, but the actual crypt it, it is very long. So this is, I would say, the core difference between a crypt and a... The crypt always ends up with a sarcophagus, a kind of sarcophagus. Sorry, my French? Sarcophagus? Sarcophagus. It's a tough word, no matter what language you speak. Sarcophage in French. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jill, I feel like you guys, you and your team, had to write so many lines of dialogue where Laura dies because I die so many times in these things, even just doing the crypt here, trying to figure out how to go uh, through it, just like hearing her lines over and over again. Do you guys ever find like little tasks that like that challenging from a writing perspective? Because obviously when you speak about writing and you give interviews, everyone's always talking about the overarching themes and the Oh yeah, I get to talk about the fun stuff, (laughs) cinematics. I'm like, oh, we were in performance (laughs) capture with the actors, but a lot of game writing is uh it's 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 all really challenging and in a lot of ways the smaller the line the more challenging it is to write because you need it uh you need it to feel natural you need it to go by so you understand what's happening it has to not stand out too much you can't let yourself get completely tired and bored while writing that stuff or it's gonna it's going to show uh so it's really hard line to walk in that just like in between interesting and so natural it's almost not there yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's a, such a fascinating part of game development that no one ever really talks about, you know, like like the grueling process of not only like writing it and coming to, you know, like a consensus of how you guys want the scenes to play out, but then, of course, going into the recording process of yeah, like, recording, these finite little, the, little the rec- pieces. The recording process is important. It, like testing and iteration is also important. Sometimes you can't know that something's not working until you hear it in the game. Um, and on this game, we've been really lucky to have a number of great processes so that we can get 
lines and even like rough like hand-drawn versions of whole scenes into the game really early so we can see how they interact with gameplay and test them out and then make tweaks so that by the time we get to the most expensive studios <laughs> we have in the whole process where it's no longer just like someone from the team reading the line but it's it's like hired actors and everyone then we really know exactly what it is that we're going for um, at that point can can capture the polished version and even then sometimes we still do retakes I mean, you got to get it right. Keep doing it to get it right. Well, listen, I could keep chatting with you both for, for a long time. This has been wonderful. I kind of wanted to end the chat that we're having with your guys' opinions on what has been the most rewarding working on this project and kind of what uh, you're excited for players to discover in the game when they finally get to play it in September. I've been saying, oh, well, apart from being able to pet the llamas. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty <laughs> Which cool Which I think is a great team accomplishment. <laughs> Especially the little ear flick at the end. <laughs> you have to do this. Now, my, I've been saying my favorite um, part of the process has been bringing uh, to life this chapter of Lara and Jonah's friendship and, and how the community has told me various social media platforms, especially how important it is to them to see a non-romantic friendship between uh, a man and woman be given real importance, uh, you know, in breadth and scope and, and big emotions on screen, not just in a video game, but like anywhere <laughs> in Absolutely. our media. Um, and, and that's, so that's been really, I've been really proud of that. Um, from my standpoint, it's a little bit more complex because as a director, I see a lot of things and there's a lot of things I'm passionate about. But one of the things I would say, I think the story is one of the things I'm more proud of uh, when compared this, uh, to the previous games. And this is something we pushed a lot. But the most important thing, I think, from my standpoint, because it's also technological uh, an achievement, it's really PyTT. Everyone experiences it, feels something completely different and new. And I've been playing ten thousand times, and never get, and you know, I never get tired. I know we we, we ask people to wait, <laughs> but I never get tired because it's so beautiful and and feel and vibrant and alive. That's for that's that's for me. I think the most I'm the the, the, the thing that I'm most proud of. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to exploring this world. Thank you so much for chatting with me today and having me out to play the game. And you guys can get your hands on Shadow of the Tomb Raider on September 14th, 2018. And we'll have lots more coverage for you guys on What's Good Games.